Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported. That means we truly depend on you in order to bring this resource to you. If you don't already support us financially, you could do so. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. You'll see our three friendly yellow buttons there. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. Click on one of them and fill that out. If you'd like to support us the traditional way, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, June 10th, 2019. So we are announcing the winner of the Worst Easter Sermon of the Year contest, but we're not announcing it on the podcast. Yeah, that's right. If you want to hear or see who won this year's Worst Easter Sermon of the Year contest, you're going to have to head over to our YouTube channel and look for our live stream. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine that is put forward for consumption by the average evangelical, far from biblical, far from what God's word says. In fact, it's just make your make up your own religion and spirituality days and just call it Christianity when it isn't. So, like I said at the uh, the very opening of the program, today we are, are announcing the winner of the Worst Easter Sermon of the Year contest. However, we're not announcing it here on the podcast. Yeah, if you want to find out who won, you're going to have to head over to YouTube. And I know since the podcast will be posted uh, later than today, uh, that you'll be able to find it by looking for the look in the videos. Go to the Fighting for the Faith YouTube channel. If you're not sure how to get there, go to FightingForTheFaith.com, and you can see our social media icons at the top of the page. Click on the one that looks like the YouTube icon, and then head over to our channel. Click on videos and look for the Prophecy Bingo segment from June 10th, 2019. So what we're doing is we are doing a live stream tonight. And the live stream will include uh, us as a audience and those who are participating playing Prophecy Bingo together. And then at the end, once we're finished with Prophecy Bingo, we will be announcing the winner of the 
2019 Worst Easter Sermon of the Year contest. And I got to say, I the, the one I wanted to win didn't. <laughs> but this is like a common thing now. It, it seems like it, it's happening every year with frequency. So <clears throat> that's all I got to say. So And then also registration is open now to uh, register for the 2019 Pirate Christian Radio Conference, PCR Conference. We're holding it at Siloam Baptist Church in Swansea in the United Kingdom. And it's free to attend, but you have to register because we need to know how many people are going to be showing up. And uh, registration is open for a brief amount of time, and that time is still now. Uh, And so uh, head on over to piratechristian.com forward slash Swansea, S-W-A-N-S-E-A, and uh, register, you know, get the information, all the information on, you know, who's going to be there. I mean, myself, Pastor Jervis, Nicholas Edward Charmley, Carrie Ferguson, and one other will be there. We'll talk about that later. But uh, you, you get the idea. But uh, all, all of that is, um, it, it, you, you can still register. Uh, hopefully by the time you listen to this podcast, you still can. Uh, once we hit a particular number, we will cut it off. And, uh, and you'll note that uh, we intentionally make it difficult for people to register because we like to keep our conferences small so that you can uh, come and hang out with us. And I kind of always work from the idea that uh, the people who need to get there are going to get there. So that best way I can put it. So let's talk about what we're going to do with this installment of Fighting for the Faith. Uh, we are going to be heading over to Elevation Church, and uh, we'll listen to a little bit of... Um, of Stephen Furtick introducing Tavner Smith. Yeah, introducing Tavner Smith. And uh, once we're done hearing that, uh, we're going to listen to Tavner Smith's uh, attempt to preach from the book of Exodus. Uh, and the name of the message is The Detour is for Your Destiny. The Detour is for Your Destiny. And the best way I could put it is this is a supreme example of adventures in missing the point because Tavner Smith is uh, one of the students of one of the greatest narcissists of all time, Stephen Furtick. Stephen Furtick, by the way, uh, if you're not sure what a narcissist is, uh, the proper way to preach the scriptures is to exegete them to read out what God has revealed within the pages of Holy Scripture. To mishandle the biblical text is to engage in several different things, but one of the more common ways is to engage in something called eisegesis, E-I-S, eisegesis, and that's the reading of things into the Scripture, reading into the Scripture things that are not there. Narsegesis is the reading of yourself into the biblical text when you ain't there. That's just the best way I can put it. So that will be today's installment of Fighting for the Faith, and since technically this is kind of a Furtick-ish type of update, let's do this. You walked up to the pulpit like you are a man of God Your hand strategically cut to the new style The fever was fake and hot You had one eye 
Church, we will be starting off by having Stephen Furtick introduce to all of the people at Elevation his protege, you know, the student he's mentoring, the crazy and bonkers and theologically obtuse Tabner Smith. That's the best way I can put it. So let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here is Stephen Furtick to introduce Tabner Smith. And the message that he's about to deliver there at Elevation titled, The Detour is for Your Density. I mean, Destiny. Destiny, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we go. Here, put put that one in, the left one. I think this is working. Hello? See. Hey, Elevation! Happy weekend. What's up? This is Pastor Tavner Smith. He's going to preach the word today. <laughs> Tavner looks starstruck. Woo-hoo-hoo. He is one of the most amazing. I want to say this to you. You are one of the most amazing. And now let's build up Tavner Smith's ego, shall we? Amazing pastors that God is raising up in the nation today. And this is our first time having him at Elevation. I really believe in him, but in a minute you'll see that that really doesn't say anything about me. Because the fire of God is on this man of God. He and his wife, Danielle, pastor Venue Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, soon to be all over the nation and the world. I hope not. <laughs> yeah. And so let me, let me put this in here. Uh, going back in time to March 5th, 2018, Tavner Smith's uh, sermon titled Dream, Hustle, Win. Uh, we will note that <laughs> Tavner Smith's theology is completely wackerdoodle. Uh, to say the least, let's listen in. I'll fly away, oh glory, anybody, I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. Bad singer, good songs. <laughs> Nothing wrong with the music. But it was not the end intended message that God wanted to deliver to the earth. God's message to the earth was never supposed to be, hurry up and get back to me. 
God's message to the earth was... Now, note what he just said there. Hurry up and get back to me. He's teaching the Mormon doctrine of pre-existence of humans. I, I'm not making that up. We didn't pre-exist. But watch what he does. It's always supposed to be, help me get heaven down there through you. <laughs> I, I have to back that up to hear it in context. Yeah, so God's intended message was, help me get heaven down there to you. If God wanted to bring heaven to earth, he could. Oh, and by the way, Jesus will be bringing the new Jerusalem with him on the day that he returns in glory to judge the living and the dead when he makes a new heaven and a new earth. And he's not needing our help to do that. But let me back this up just a smidge. Hurry up and get back to me. God's message to the earth was always supposed to be, help me get heaven down there through you. Right? The Bible says that before the foundations of the world, he knew us. If he knew us, it means we were with him before we were created. <laughs> no, it doesn't mean that. If we were with him before we created, he then saw an answer the earth needed that could only be answered through you. And so he gave you a body to live in to bring the answer to the earth. So he gave. Yeah, that, that's Mormonism. Yeah, right there. That's Mormonism right there. So uh, Tabner Smith is a guy who just doesn't know how to rightly handle a biblical text. And of course, Stephen Furtick, wouldn't you know, is the one endorsing him and unleashing this theological virus, this gangrene on Elevation Church. Um, but in Tabner's case, uh, he may be less dangerous than Stephen Furtick. I I'm just saying. And I believe that God's going to use them in a great way today. So stand up right now at every location. Put your hands together. And he's not here. He's there. Anyway, you get it. Come on, get up on your feet and let's show honor and love to my friend, Pastor Tavner Smith. Come on, put your hands together. Let's get ready for the word. Love you, man. All right, so Tavner Smith now takes the stage at Elevation. Good. Well, good morning, Elevation. Now, he's going to go on and do kind of a mandatory thing. All guest preachers at Elevation Church must assume the sycophant position and uh, engage in activity that sycophants engage in. And so he'll go on for a couple of minutes. So we'll fast forward to the very last part where he's giving such high praise to Stephen Furtick. Oh, he... He's the best thing ever. This is not a large church. This is a move of God. In the I'm glad you don't think that Elevation is a church. <laughs> That's how I'm interpreting it. The earth. And so I just want to take the next 20 seconds. And if So he, he said that Elevation Church is not a large church. It's a movement. Yeah, it's not a church. It's a movement. Works for me. God has done anything in your life through this ministry. I want you to raise the roof at all our locations and thank God for the gift that he's given us and our pastors, Pastor Stephen and Holly. Come on, lift your voice in this place. Yeah, uh, God doesn't allow women to be pastors, so Holly isn't that. So there's his uh, plaintiff, Yop, and, uh, you know, He's thanking God for Stephen Furtick. Oh! 
could you imagine what would happen if John MacArthur, for instance, led his congregation in this kind of behavior? I want to jump right into the word before you sit down. Let me read, but I want to say this before I read the word. I want to tell you this, that God is going to meet you today. Not at the level of my preparation. He's going to meet you at the level of your expectation. Pseudo profound bovine scatology. What does that even mean? God's going to not meet me at your level of preparation. Yeah, he... He is prepared all the way to preparation H level. and uh, But God's going to meet us at the level of our expectation. Where'd you get that, Tavner? I came prepared. I came ready. I'm going to give you a word today. But how funny I am, how loud I am, how good I am has no bearing on what the word has the ability to do. Isaiah 55 says the word will perform everything it was intended to perform. I- yeah, that's going to require you to uh, rightly handle the word and correctly give a proper sense of what it means, pointing it back to Christ, properly distinguishing between law and gospel, calling sinners to repent and to be forgiven by the shed blood of Christ. I don't have to perform and I didn't come to perform. All I came to do is deliver the word. Whether the word's going to change you or not does not have to do with what happens up here. It has to do with what happens right there in your seat. So I want you right now just to raise your level of expectation. I want you to stir your... Raise your level of expectations, folks. Get up higher, man. Get that expectation up there, man. I, I don't know. Self up a little bit at every location. I want you to get ready to lean in, not to me, but lean in. Okay. Lean into the Holy Spirit and watch what He's gonna do. Yeah, this is a pseudo profound pep talk here. Because I declare before I preach, you're gonna leave a different person. Oh, He declared it. It's gotta be true, you know. So, Father, in Jesus' name, change us, shift us. May we leave different. Shift us. I, you know, apparently we're all in manual transition and God has to take us from second to third or something. I don't know. In your name. Come on, everybody said amen. 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 Exodus chapter 14 says it this way. Now, I'm going to note, this is a great text. This is the parting of the Red Sea. This is a big deal. And one of the major texts uh, of Scripture. And, whoa, I mean, talk about the biblical typologies that point us to our salvation that we have in Christ. This text is that. And uh, even the Apostle Paul uses this text as a, as a well, a picture of our baptisms into Christ. Yeah, I'll talk about that in a minute. But, man, I mean, great text. I'm glad you picked Exodus 14. I hope you preach it in all of its Christ glorifying glory. Verse 21, Moses raised his hand over the sea and the Lord opened up a path through. Yeah, this is not a good sign. How many of you have read, you know, Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings or C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia? Or, you know, you've, you've read a really large tome. I, I don't really pay attention to recent book releases unless it's theological. And how many of you, have, you, know, you know, in reading these have started, you know, two-thirds of the way through the story? You know, 
Forget, forget the Fellowship of the Ring. Forget the Two Towers. You're, you're going to go straight to, you know, the last third of the Return of the King. Yeah, that makes sense as far as storytelling is concerned to me, right? You, you jump in, you're, you're not going to know who's what or who's where or where you is or what's going on. You, you, you're going to be lost. So here, you, Exodus 14, we're jumping into verse 21. Why? Through the water with a strong east wind. And the wind blew all night and turned in the seabed into dry land. And so the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with walls of water on each side. Let me skip down. I want to skip down to verse 27. <laughs> now we're playing hopscotch. Okay, so we jumped into verse 21. Now we're down to verse 27. Why? I don't know. After they get across, the sun began to rise and Moses raised his hand over the sea and the water rushed back into its usual place. And the Egyptians, the ones who were chasing them, trying to kill them, tried to escape, but the Lord swept them into the sea. Then the waters returned and covered all the chariots and charioteers and the entire army of Pharaoh and of all the Egyptians who had chased the Israelites into the sea. Not a single one survived. I want to spend the next few minutes today speaking on this subject. The detour is for your destiny. What on earth? Huh? The detour. It's up on the big screen in big words. The detour is for your destiny. Yeah, I know. I have no idea what this is. It's for your destiny. If you're ready, high-five your neighbor as you sit down and tell them, get ready. Here comes the detour. <laughs> Here comes the detour. That I don't usually consider those to be good things. You know, my wife and I just got the opportunity to get a brand new house and, and we've been moving in in the, the past few months and we kind of ran up on a dilemma and we were getting on each other's nerves a little bit because we weren't prepared for what was coming. There was just a lot, more than we thought uh, with the packing, the unpacking, the getting ready, the, the new drive, the getting used to it. But does this have anything to do with Exodus 14? All right, we're going to pause Tavner there for a minute. I, I mean, this is such an amazing text. How can he not see what this is about? All right, we're going to head over in our Hebrew Bible, you know, Hebrew and uh, English. Get the Hebrew a little bit bigger. Cause, oh, no, I made it smaller. Uh, there we go. Just in case I need to reference it, older eyes, I have to be able to see it. If it's small, it's, forget it. It's not going to happen. All right, so people of Israel. Let's kind of jump, give a little bit of the context. The context is that uh, the people of Israel, after the death of Joseph, several generations later, the Pharaoh of Egypt did, did not know who Joseph was, didn't really care, and decided that he was going to oppress the people of Israel, enslaved them, and then, you know, you remember he required that the male boys, the, the young infant male boys be put to death because he feared the power of the uh, of the Jews in his midst. 
And uh, so this is how Moses came about. Moses was supposed to be put to death. His mother put him in a basket, floated him down the Nile. And Pharaoh's daughter, of all people, you know, found him, brought him in and raised him, raised him in the palace there and called his name Moshe, which, you know, means he drew or drew out of the water. So great. I mean, great story so far. Moses, after he grows up, he knows that he's a Hebrew, decides that he's going to start to work to free his own people or stand up for him, ends up murdering an Egyptian Pharaoh finds out about it. Moses ends up skedaddling out of Egypt, spends 40 years as a shepherd in Midian, you know, uh, which is on the other side of the Gulf of Aqaba in uh, Saudi Arabia. And then at Mount Sinai, God causes, you know, God shows up in the form of a burning bush. Moses goes to see why the bush is uh, burning but not consumed. And then God commissions him, says, you know, I, I remember my covenant to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I've heard the groanings of my people, and so I'm going to send you to set my people free from slavery under Pharaoh. Moses says, send somebody else. God says, no, I'm sending you. And, and so from there, God sends Moses, and you, you know about the ten plagues. The ten plagues with the you know turning of the Nile into blood, you got the plague of the frogs, the plague of the gnats, the plague of the hail, the plague of the darkness, you know, and, and, the, and then you got the locusts and and all of these plagues, you know, you know, what's happening is is that Moses is telling Pharaoh, let God says, let my people go, and Pharaoh says, no, I will not, and finally. Finally, with the 10th plague, the plague of the Passover, the killing of the firstborn, you know, every family in Egypt that didn't have the blood of a lamb over their doorposts in their house, over their lintels, the firstborn inside those that house died. That's exactly what happened. And so we have this amazing story of God setting the people of Israel free from slavery by a mighty hand, by judging Pharaoh and judging the gods of Egypt. And so the people of Israel now, they, the, the, you know, they march out of Egypt and they're heading towards Mount Sinai and they come up against uh, the Gulf of Aqaba, which is part of the Red Sea. And it looks like the, 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 it's, it's lights out for them because the, the army of Pharaoh is behind them because Pharaoh has changed his mind. And so we get to Exodus 14. We'll start at verse 1. And, uh, and it will, it will just kind of work this out. So Yahweh said to Moses, tell the people of Israel, turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Hahiroth between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea, for Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And then I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh. And so they did so. And when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people And they said, what is this that we've done? We have let Israel go from serving us. So he made ready his chariots, took his army with him, and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. 
And Yahweh hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army and overtook them and encamped at the sea by Pihahiroth in front of Baal Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to Yahweh and they said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of Yahweh, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. And Yahweh will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. And so you'll know this is a wonderful picture then. Uh, this is a salvific picture. The Lord is the one who fights for us. And the question then, of course, a good one comes up, is, uh, you know, against whom does the Lord fight? Answer, the Lord fights against our real enemy, our enslaver, Satan himself. He is the, he is the, the king, if you would, of the dominion of darkness, the, the tyrant of the dominion of darkness. And God is the one who sets us free from slavery to sin, death, the devil. And he fights against our enemies for us, and he does this by dying on the cross. But here we have this picture, and you'll note the text itself mentions salvation. For, uh, and it says, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation, uh, Yeshua, <laughs> of, of Yahweh, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, they will, you'll never see them again. So Yahweh said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, divide it that the people of Israel may go around, go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and over all of his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen. So then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud in the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. And then Moses stretched out his hand and I, I think a, a good way to think about this is he's stretching out his arms like this. He's stretching out his hands, physically making a sign that looks a lot like the cross with his body. That's kind of the point here. So uh, the people of Israel went in. Okay, so he stretched out his hand and, the, and uh, Yahweh drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen. And in the morning, watch the Lord in Yahweh in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces, threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging the chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, 
let us flee from before Israel, for Yahweh fights for them against the Egyptians. Then Yahweh said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may become may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course. When morning appeared, and as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord, Yahweh, threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea, and the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, and all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus Yahweh, and here it is, saved, Yasha, Yahweh saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that Yahweh used against the Egyptians. So the people feared Yahweh, and they believed in Yahweh and in his servant, Moses. Now, we're not going to end here. We're going to go a little bit into Exodus 15, but I want to show you in the time, you know, how this is then used, and we'll take a look at uh, two passages in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, watch what Paul does with this account of uh, the crossing of the Red Sea. Paul says, I don't want you, this is 1 Corinthians 10, 1, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all, all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were, and here's your word, baptized. Uh, yeah, baptizo. They were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. So you'll note here, 1 Corinthians 10, it makes it explicitly clear that in looking at the account of the Exodus and the crossing of the Red Sea, and even of the eating of the manna and of the drinking of the water, that this is all pointing to Christ and the rock that followed them was Christ. This is what is being said here. This is amazing stuff when you consider the implications of it. All of that being said, one more text then uh, that kind of bears this out. So Paul is using the, uh, the account of the Red Sea, saying it's type and shadow, pointing us to the reality that we have in Christ now. And now we come to the major salvific theme of Scripture, and this is one of the major ways our salvation is pictured, and it is, salva- it is a salvation from slavery. Would, this would be redemption, being set free from slavery. And watch how the Apostle Paul in Romans 6 then uses slavery language and how our bapt- in our baptisms we're set free from our slavery to sin and the devil and things like this. And watch what he does. So what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? Which is a slanderous statement being made by Paul's detractors. Um, they're saying, oh, this is what Paul teaches. We should sin so that grace may abound. He's saying we're saved by our by grace through faith alone and not by our works. Right, well, that's what he says. So they're, they're, they slanderously accuse him of saying that we are to continue in sin so that you know grace may abound. But Paul answers the question. He says, by no means. And watch what he says. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, we were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So you'll note here, it says, 
that in our baptisms we were buried with Christ. We were raised with Christ so that we might walk in newness of life. So he goes on. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be, and here's the major theme, enslaved to sin. So you'll note, in the New Testament, the reality is revealed that slavery of the, the slavery of the Old Testament that the Israelites lived through, this is a picture of the, our enslavement to sin itself, in each and every one of us born enslaved to the sin, death, and the devil. So that uh, the idea here is, is that Paul's saying, that we've been united with Christ. Our old self was crucified with Christ. And in our baptisms, we were united with Christ in his death and resurrection. For what purpose? So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we will believe that we, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin, because you are. If you are a baptized believer in Jesus Christ, you are dead to sin. You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. So let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Instead, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but you are under grace. And then he continues with the slave theme. So what then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? No, by no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free, have become slaves of righteousness." All right, so you can see what's going on here. So I, you know, one of the things I like to teach uh, the younger members of the congregations that I serve is that a good way to think of your baptism is it's just like the crossing of the Red Sea. And now that you've been baptized into Christ, you look, at, you know, you look around the rim of the baptismal font, and there lie the dead corpses of the demons. You know, that's a good way to look at it. So here we've got this picture of salvation. Through water, yes, I know, salvation through water, and through and because of this, ultimate, ultimately being set free from slavery to Pharaoh. Now, I want you to then hear how then this results in praise and worship of God, and this is a type and shadow picture of what Christ has done for us. So Moses and the people of Israel, they sang this song after they got to the other side. They, they're now on the Saudi Arabian shore of the Gulf of Aqaba. So then Moses and the people of Israel sang the song to Yahweh, saying, I will sing to Yahweh, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord Yahweh is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God. 
and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. Yahweh is a man of war. Yahweh is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he is cast into the sea. His chosen officers were sunk in the red sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Yahweh, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Yahweh, shatters the enemy. In your great, in the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries and you send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. The blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up, the floods stood up in a heap, the deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil, but my desire shall have, and my desire shall have its fill of them, and I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. But you blew with your wind, the sea covered them, they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Yahweh, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed, and you have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. And here you can see this You're sitting there going, wait, that sounds like salvation. Because it is. This whole story is a picture of our salvation. This is what's going, this is the mighty hand of the Lord saving us. And and there in Exodus 13, uh, 15, 13, you have led in your steadfast love people whom you have redeemed. Redeemed is to be set free from slavery, to be bought out of slavery and then made free. You've guided them by your strength to your holy abode. And see, this is us. We've been set free from the dominion of darkness. Christ has mightily conquered. The devil crushed his head through the cross. And he is now guiding us to his holy abode in the new earth. The peoples have heard, they tremble, pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed, trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them in your own mountain and place, O the place, O Lord, which you have made. For your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, Yahweh will reign forever and ever. Hmm. Yeah, there's a lot more to this, but you get the idea. This is a text that is a picture of our salvation. And Tavner, what? He read Exodus 14, 21, 22, and 27. And said that the detour is for you destined. All right, we're going to pause right there, pay some bills. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break when we come back. More of Tavner Smith butchering Exodus. Yeah, stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Living a life of purpose can't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
This sissy, pansy, cunning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Max Holiday's Birdcage Theatre presents Church Day Select. are they flying? They're flying the code orange flag. It's the SSF audacity. This is our chance, men. This egregious foe has been plaguing the seas for long enough. Two arms! Man the battle stations and hoist the colors. Aye, aye, sir. Man the battle stations and hoist the colors. Man drummer and man battle station. Aye, aye, sir. You heard the man. Get to work. Come on, keep going. The enemy's not going to wait for us. Put your back to the night. Come on, get the spiders. Damn, we're out. No warning. It's okay. Come on, let's get go. Go, go, go. Captain, sir, they're turning to meet us. With this clear weather, we couldn't have had the element of surprise. Well, no matter. We have the wind on our side and our men are ready. We should be pulling up alongside them any minute now. Give me a status report! Sir, the enemy ship has us outgunned by at least three to one. The gunner's mates are reporting that we're running low on gunpowder and half the crew is suffering from Montezuma's revenge. Never fear, my good man, for it says that with God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. If you say so, Captain Furnick. They're now within firing range, Captain. Mr. Smithers, send them a... Hang on, let me do this myself. Send them a warning shot off of their port bow. Fire the cannons, I, sir! That was merely a warning shot, Captain. They could have very well have hit us. I think they wished for us to surrender to avoid bloodshed. Nonsense! You think we would surrender in our hour of triumph? God has clearly stated that no weapon formed against you will prosper. We can't lose. Let loose the cannons. But but we're not within silence. 
If I wanted your opinion, I'd have given it to you. I say, fire! I've never seen a warning shot where they used all their cannons before. The blasted fool shot before he was in range. I can only assume that he means to not surrender. Quickly fire a barrage into their port side while they reload. Aye, aye, sir. Fire the cannons! Ha! You call that an attack? I have God on my side. He said this to me, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Why, why aren't we firing our cannons? We've now lost half our cannons due to the last attack. Come on, men. We can't lose. Aye, aye, sir. Are they even trying anymore? By all accounts, I believe they are. Let's pull up alongside and see if we can't reason with them. It would be bad form to slaughter them without mercy. Hello, over there! Go away! We have nothing to say to you! I wanted to negotiate the terms of your surrender. My surrender? It is you who will be surrendering to us. What on earth is he talking about, Captain? Maybe he is suffering from malnutrition and heat stroke? No, I, I think he's serious. Now look here. You're outgunned with no way of winning. We wish to show you mercy. No weapon formed against us will prosper. Why is he quoting the Bible? No, a quote would require a context. What he's done is called proof texting. Enough talk, men. Ready? Aim. What was that? I couldn't hear you over the sound of your mass being demolished. But, but, uh, no! In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Oh, would you look at that? Your rudder is gone, too. <clears throat> It'll be a little difficult for you to sail without it, don't you think? I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Is it me? Or is your ship now sinking? Nah, maybe it is me. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. If it's all the same to you, I think we've lost this fight. I'm surrendering. Geronimo! Take me with you. I can't take another minute with this lunatic. Stop it! Stop it right now! All of you come back. We, we, we can't lose. We have... God on our side. We shall prevail. We will. Well, that was surprisingly easy. Makes me wonder how they were even viewed as a threat in the first place. Most inept sailors to ever sail the seven seas.
Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down. Click on the ad banner and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Oi, Captain! We got ourselves a heretic! (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. (laughs) To err is to heretic. To R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that the crossing of the Red Sea in Exodus has nothing to do with detours involving your destiny or mine, because it doesn't. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world, and you can partner with us. It is a partnership visit our website fightingforthefaith.com when you get there you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons one says donate the other says join our crew the other says become a patron when you join our crew you get to pick your rank in our crew rank is based upon your monthly commitment lowest rank is powder monkey at nine dollars 95 cents a month after that gunners made at 24.95 a month master gunner at 49.95 a month and quartermaster at 99.95 a month Joining our crew is a great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button. If you'd like to support us uh, by by becoming a patron on Patreon, click on the Become a Patron button. If you'd like to support us the traditional analog way, you can do that too by making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then sending it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. 
And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. Moving along, let's continue as we listen to The Detour is for Your Destiny from Tavner Smith preaching at Elevation Church because, you know, he's a super careful student of Stephen Furtick, not the actual Word of God. We continue. Here we go. The, with all of that came an added stress that we never anticipated that created a little conflict in our life. And, and it's not doesn't sound like that big of a deal to you, but we... So he's regaling them with a story about his personal life. Yeah. Really let it get in the middle of us. I don't know if you've ever dealt with this, but do you know what happened? We found out that we had two cars, a two-car garage, but the house only came with one garage door opener. Come on, somebody. I think that's a first-world problem right there. And so we, we let this get to us. And, you know, being the amazing, you know, God-led husband that I am... I just said to my wife, I'm, I'll sacrifice. You can have the garage door opener. And I gave it to her. And I spent the next four months. The, I don't know. This may tell you how dumb I am. But I spent the next four months getting to the garage door, getting frustrated, putting it in park, jumping out, walking up, poking the code into the little thing, slamming the thing down mad, getting in my car, thinking every time this is ridiculous. What does this have to do with Exodus 14? Got me frustrated. I would be angry when I went in the house because I had to get out of the car and open the garage door. And one day, it just all boiled over. And I got out and I typed in the code and, and it had this little lid on it. And I literally slapped it as hard as I could. And I walked away and I was walking back to my car like this. And I said to myself, I am tired of this. And this little voice came and spoke. I'm not even saying it was the Lord. It was probably just common sense. This little voice came to me and said, you must not be that tired of it or you would do something about it to change it. And it was followed up by this next voice who I think might have been the Lord that said this, Tabner, if you want something different, why don't you do something different? And that's what I came to challenge us today. If we want something different, how about we make the agreement today that we're going to walk out of here and in our mind with what's going on in our life, what if we do something different? Yeah, maybe you should do something different like, you know, maybe finish seminary, um, apply yourself to sound biblical exegesis because none of this has anything to do with what's revealed for us for our comfort in Exodus 14. You know, because I've, I've been dealing with this personally in my, my own life, struggling with this like battle emotionally with social media. You know, I want to be more spiritual than I am, and I want to be as spiritual as you. And I'm glad that you're applying your spirituality to social media. I'm trying my best, but sometimes, y'all, I just mess up. <laughs> So I want to wake up. That's called sin. Up and declare who I am in the Lord and believe who I am in the Lord. And sometimes I do that. I, I God, I am the best husband. I am the best father. I do. I, I'm good enough and I'm smart enough. And gosh darn it, people like me. I'm anointed. I'm appointed. I'm set apart. I'm. I, I, I declare it all, and then I turn my Instagram on. 
and I don't feel very anointed or appointed anymore because I see everybody else who's a good husband and who's a good daddy and who, while I'm yelling at my kids on the way to school, they're at Chick-fil-A on the way to school with a big smile on their face. And while, while me and my wife just had fight night, they were out on date night and now it's all over the internet. And it just makes me mad and down and unspiritual. And what does this have to do with Exodus 14? And I'm just going to be honest with you. Like, I've struggled with it. And I've just decided recently that if I want to see something different, I've just got to choose to see something different. Well, they do say that, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. So, so you're clearly preaching against insanity. Very good. Very good. You should. But this has nothing to do with Exodus 14. And it made me think about that as I was going to preach to you today because do you know what I just did to you? I literally just read to you the Instagram version of this story. Oh, he's Twicky. Oh, yeah, that wascally Tavna Smith. He, he twicked us there. Like I read to you the good part. I read to you that the part where like where I come from, where I grew up in, the organ would start playing at that part and we'd start stomping a little bit. So people would toss some babies and throw some wigs. Maybe somebody did a lap. You know what I'm talking about? That was the good part. That was the Instagram part. Like, and that's the part that I want to preach to you. That's the part that I wanted to come in uh, elevation and I just wanted to tear the place up. And whether you've run a lap before, you're all running around every campus that you're at. But I can't preach to you the Instagram version and not tell you the whole story because what those notice here by telling you the whole story, he's not interested in telling you the whole story of what's really going on in Exodus 14. (laughs) The whole story about what's really going on in his life. Okay. Kind of messages do is they make us leave And we want to believe God, but we have trouble believing God because what we're living in doesn't match what we just heard. And I am tired of me preaching Instagram messages that don't change lives. Because the way we preach this, it's like if it was today, you know, Moses would have been at the Red Sea with all his people and he would have pulled the iPhone out, you know, got his selfie stick out. And he would have been like, all right, y'all look happy. Wow, we're learning a lot about Tabner Smith. Nothing about Moses. Yeah, Moses' staff wasn't a selfie stick. This is just, whew, this is adventures in missing the point. I mean, what on earth here? You know, I, I feel like we need to do some kind of like special type of like, you know, thing that we steer into. Y'all remember the Muppet Show and pigs in space you know i i think i need to talk to my editor about working some things out here so that we when we come up with something like this it would be adventures in missing the point because that's what this is and we would have looked at the picture and thought i've been to the red sea before it never parted
Yeah, this is this is Narcissus, but we've noted that uh, there's a new version of Narcissus, and there's like absurd Narcissus. There's now new levels that this is just clueless Narcissus. What on earth? But that's just the end. That's listen to me. Don't miss this. That's the culmination. It's the grand finale of a lifetime of what God has been doing. And what? What? Moses has got 40 years in the wilderness ahead of him. What are you talking about? In the life of Moses and the Israelites. And what I want to do, I want to take you a little bit deeper in the story today. You wouldn't know the direction of deeper if I made a sign for you and showed you which direction that is. And I want to give you just a couple of principles that I think if you can really take these not to head but to heart and walk out of here, I believe your head can be high. You can walk in confidence and you can know instead of being frustrated, slapping the the garage keyboard of your life. I believe God's going to give you the ability to know how to do something different, to reprogram something. To where everything changes when you walk out of here. And so I just, I'm going to preach it simple. He's going to preach it simple. I'm just a simple guy, y'all. I'm going to put handles on it. I'm going to give you three points. And I believe you can walk out of these and uh, out of here and apply these to your life. So I want to give you point number one as we look at this life of Moses. And we learn that the detour is for our destiny. I, I want you first of all to realize this. That your position is on purpose. The entire room there is full of narcissists. The position is for your purpose. What are you talking about? This has nothing to do with Exodus 14. Somebody just said, it's good. Yeah, you know. That's hard to swallow, y'all. Now, now I know you got your Sunday clothes Hard to swallow. It doesn't make any sense. It has nothing to do with Exodus 14. And you smile on and your neighbor don't know your position right now. And so you're acting like, oh, that's a good word, Pastor. But in your mind, you're thinking, that guy's crazy. He don't know what he's talking about. I agree. You do not know what you're talking about at all. Exodus 14 is a picture of our salvation. You don't know my life. But your position is on purpose. I want to show you something in Exodus chapter 13. Let me go back a chapter and read you two quick verses. We're going to grab two verses from Exodus 13. Well, this will prove that the way he's handling 14 is correct, right? That when Moses was getting the people out, he's been bartering for him. He's been going to Pharaoh. He's been like, let him go. Finally, he does. And he's getting ready. Like, let's get out of here. Let's get away as fast as we can. And when he gets to that point, here's what happens. Look at Exodus 13. It says this in verse 17. When Pharaoh finally let the people go. God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory. Listen, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them, listen to this, in a roundabout way. Through the wilderness, toward the Red Sea. Thus the Israelites left Egypt. Like an army ready for battle. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being Moses? Like Moses doesn't have the end of the story. 
Moses doesn't have the Bible and he's like, let me get ahead a couple chapters. Yeah, we're good here. Like, we're okay. Follow me. He's living this out day by day. So you'll note the fundamental assumption here is that you're Moses. And, you know, God is positioning you for greatness like Moses. And that what Moses experienced here is a pattern that you should expect to have happen in your life, too, as you are in pursuit of your purpose and, you know, your dream density thingy. Uh-huh. He's already struggled with them trusting him because he's like, yeah, Pharaoh said we'd let you go. And then Pharaoh changes his mind. He's like, I'm not letting them go. And like 10 times this has happened. And they've had to overcome these trust issues. And finally. <laughs> they had to overcome trust issues. <laughs> what text are you reading from again? They get to the point where now they've packed up all their stuff and they're marching out and they're like, we're going, we're out of here. And like, where are we going, Moses? Let's go left. I know that's the quickest way. And Moses is like, no, trust me. We can't go that way. Even though it's shortest, we can't go left. Even though it will be less obstacles, we can't go straight. And I know the Red Sea's over here, but just trust me, we're supposed to go right. God said, go right. I think that's where we struggle the most. I... We do? I wasn't there. It's when God says something that our minds can't make sense of. What? Can you give me an example of what you're talking about here? Because here's the thing about our minds. Our minds have to make sense. They have to take whatever's happening and make sense of the situation. And so without any information, they will go and create a story of their own to make sense of the information that is going on around you in your mind. Well, you've created an entire story about Exodus 13 and 14 in your mind that has nothing to do with what Exodus 13 and 14 is about. Now, thankfully, the folks over there at Elevation have (laughs) given us... The three points of Tabner's sermon, your position is on purpose, your position is part of the process, and your position is not permanent, which none of these points have anything to do with the text, with the verses that he ripped out of context. Let's fast forward and sample, uh, shall we, uh, point number two, see where he's going to go with that. Your position is a part of the process. Mm. Okay. Your position is a part of the process. Yeah. If I took you... Uh, to Exodus 14, 1 through 4. I'm, I'm not going to read it. Go read it for yourself. I already read it for him. Yeah, it has nothing to do with what you're talking about. It says this, that God, it says these words, planted them at the shore of the Red Sea. It, it, it says this, it says in the last verse, that, that after this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites camped there, listen to this, as they were told. I just want you to stay here for a little while. Don't just put your sleeping bag out. I need you to camp here. Don't keep, don't stay packed up and ready. Don't stay in go mode. You're going to be here a little bit. Isn't that what's frustrating about the process? What? So you think this is uh, a pattern? A principle of process that God's doing in our lives. You've lost your mind, Tavner. This is a picture of our salvation. 
Scripture is quite clear on this in the New Testament. Don't we hate the process? Maybe you're more spiritual than me, but can I just listen to me? I hate the process. I don't like the process. It's how I'm wired. Okay. I, where in Scripture does it say that we're supposed to have a process as we head towards our density? I mean, destiny. Like, I stand in front of the microwave, watching my Hot Pocket get heated for 60 seconds, thinking, why don't you hurry up? (laughs) I'm the guy that goes into Best Buy, my TV went out, and I want a 75-inch, and I go into Best Buy, and they only have a 65, and I can order a 75, but it's going to take two weeks, and I'm like, give me the 65. I'll sacrifice the 10 inches of the screen because more than what I want, 75, I just want it now because there's a game coming on and I want to see it now. And this has nothing to do with Exodus 14 either. Like I'm the guy that's in Chick-fil-A and I got my kids and I got their friends and I got eight people in the car and it takes them more than two and a half minutes to get my order for eight right and to get it in my car even though I wanted no pickle, extra pickle, no this, no that, fries well done. We're learning a lot about Tavner, like nothing about Christ. Nothing, nothing really about Moses accurately either. And all of that kind of stuff. And they get it to me in five minutes, not three minutes. And I walk drive away going, that was ridiculous. They took forever. <laughs> Let me talk to a manager. <laughs> Aren't we like that? Do you know why? It's not because we're bad people. It's because we hate. Uh, actually, you're describing behavior that scripture describes as sin as part of our sinful nature. Yeah, that's what you're doing there, and uh, it's and you just said it's not because we're bad people. Well, actually, that's the reason why we needed Christ to die for us, because we're all bad people, every one of us, me included. So yeah, we got some bad theology going on here too. Hate the process because we want things to happen immediately. But guess what? When the Israelites got to the ocean, it didn't part immediately. There was a process happening. (laughs) This is the process of preaching torture. You're torturing me, Tabner. And I got to thinking about it because in Genesis, the Bible says this. It says that as long as the earth remains, this is how the earth works. Seed, time, and harvest. But because we're processed people... We leave one of those out and we quote the verse like this. As long as the earth remains, there'll be seed and harvest. We don't like the time. So then we quote other scriptures like Galatians 6, 9 that says this. Let's not get tired of doing what's good because at the right time we'll reap a harvest of blessing. And so do you know what we do? We quote that in time and we walk around our house. We're like, we're going to reap a harvest of blessing. We end up quoting the Instagram version of the verse. When the real version of the verse is not about the harvest we receive, it's the other phrase that says this at the right time. Oh, man. <laughs> this is mind-numbingly bad. Okay, that was point two. Um Point three, your position is not permanent. Let's sample from that, shall we? Your position's not permanent. Okay. Cue sappy music. Yeah, they're starting that up. Uh, This is an emotional manipulation 
technique designed to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit is now descending on the audience to get them to make a decision of some kind or another. Not sure what the decision they're going to be making is. The detour is for your destiny, so apparently you need to embrace the fact that your position is on purpose, that the position is part of the process, but your position is not permanent. None of these things have anything to do with Exodus 14, which is a a mighty pillar of Scripture, a picture of our salvation, but Tavner seems to be completely oblivious to that fact. Can I share a verse with you? Sure, go ahead. John eight forty four, John eight forty four. I want to read this to you. John eight is like another major chapter within the scriptures. Oh man, long running battle between Jesus and unbelieving Jews, and Jesus saying, "If you abide in my word, you will never die." You know, and they they say, "Who do you think you are, Jesus? Moses died, the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be?" Right? It's a great text, and then you get to John eight fifty eight. And, you know, and G- the, the big kicker is, you know, Jesus in that text talks about Abraham as if he knows him personally. And the Jews pick up on this and they go, you're not yet 50 years old and yet you've seen Abraham. And then Jesus uses the divine name from, for himself from Exodus chapter 3. He says, amen, amen, before Abraham was born, I am ego me." And they pick up stones to rock Jesus, to, to kill him for blasphemy. I mean, it's a great text. What are you going to do with this? The position, your position is not permanent. Oh, I'm frightened here. This is actually the beginning is, is Jesus talking to the Pharisees. He says, for your ch- children of your father, the devil. And you love to do the evil things he does. And then he starts talking about the devil. For he was a murderer from the beginning. He, the devil, has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. Yep. When he lies, listen to this, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Indeed. Do you know how to know if the devil's lying to you? If he's talking to you? But that's such an important verse because it does not just describe the enemy as a liar. It describes him as the father of all lies. Just like it doesn't describe God as he loves you, it says that God is love. That's bigger. Because if God is love, then he can't do anything other than what he is. So everything he does will filter through who he is. So everything he does has to be filtered through love. Well, the enemy is the same way. He is not just a liar. He is the father of lies. That is who he is. So everything he says and does has to filter through who he is. I wanted to tell you that because of this. The little things he keeps whispering in your ear during this process, during this position. I just wanted to tell you... The devil's going to be whispering in my ear during this process that regarding the position I'm in. Yeah, well, if the devil's the father of lies, and he is, murder from the beginning, you'll note that this sermon, from beginning to end, is a complete lie. None of the things he's saying have anything to do with the actual biblical text that he cites out of context and he's filling your heads with basic this narcissistic idea that oh you're 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 great and you're going to have a destiny and you're on your way to it and that 
the, the, the position that you're in at the moment is on purpose, but don't worry because your position is part of this process, but, but your position currently is not permanent. You're, you're going to rise to greatness. This is doctrines of demons right here. It isn't the truth. Those things that he told you are not the truth. Matter of fact, last night I preached this and then I, 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 I didn't live it out. Because I preached my guts out last night and then I walked off the stage and I went home to the hotel room and I pouted. Because I thought that was awful. I blew it. I didn't make God proud. I didn't do the right thing. I missed this point. I didn't say this. I had this in my notes. And I Did you notice that you missed the whole point of the text of Exodus 14? didn't do it. They, they deserved better for me. Pastor Stephen deserved for me to do a better job being in there in his pulpit, carrying it for the greatest communicator in the world. Like I should have done better. You should have done better. And I was all down and, 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 and my wife just encouraged me. And she says, why don't you believe what you preach? <laughs> that if the enemy is talking, he has to be lying. So I just came to tell you real quick, if the Holy Spirit didn't tell it to you, and if the Word of God doesn't say it, just eliminate it and say, get behind me, devil, because I'm only going to believe what God says about me. Yeah, that, that's pretty much narcissism there. I think you get the point. So you'll note that uh, given a text that is a monumental text in Scripture, a picture of our own salvation, referenced by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, and then built, you know, the themes built from this concept of being set free from slavery through a water salvation, then played out in explicit detail in Romans chapter 6. Tavner Smith thinks that what's going on in Exodus 14 is some kind of principled pattern that you should expect in your life as you are heading towards greatness and your destiny. Um, that's not what this text is about at all. It's about our mighty God who saves us and delivers us, who are unable to save and deliver ourselves from slavery to sin, death, and the devil. Exodus 14 is a picture of our salvation and the praise of our mighty God in Exodus 15. It's all about the salvation that he won, and you can see then how the themes play out in our salvation won for us by Christ on the cross. But all of this is completely over the head of Tavner Smith because he thinks the Bible's about him, and he is a student of Stephen Furtick, one of the greatest narsegetes on the planet, if you would. And, uh, and so he's utterly, he's utterly clueless as to who the biblical texts are about, and he's not capable of rightly handling them. And as a result of that, he's not only deceiving himself, he is deceiving so many others. And now he's been injected into one of the most popular evangelical churches on the planet and is infecting them with this false view of Scripture as well and his inability to rightly handle the biblical text. Yeah, this is uh, the woeful state of Christianity today, one that we should lament and we should pray that the Lord would... Uh, open our eyes from it, but also that he would send us teachers who would rightly handle God's word and not engage in this kind of nonsense and chicanery. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash fire Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Ira Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross. 
for all of your sins. Amen.